at the centre of it is actually two things. One is that the, the mood has shifted and anybody who can have choice and agency around how they work, when they work, where they work, is going to exert that agency. And the second is uh, the whole question of why we work and the fairness and the purpose has been brought into the room, if you like. So that's why it's such a dramatic set of circumstances. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. My guest today is joining us to talk about a topic we've covered before, but I think it's one which is constantly moving. That's uh, the, the source of a lot of discussion and, and debate uh, and one that has a big impact on, uh, on us as leaders and on the relationships we build. So it's one that's worth coming back to uh, a time and time again, and she's she's the award-winning author of a book on this particular topic, so seems to be the ideal person to talk to about it. Uh, my guest is Julia Hobsbawm, uh, OBE. She's a highly respected speaker, author, and entrepreneur. As I mentioned, she's the award-winning author of several books, and pertinent to the topic I want to talk about today, the most recent of those books is The Nowhere Office, and Julia is also presenter of The Nowhere Office podcast, so she's no uh, stranger with the type of environment we're we're uh, we're residing in at the moment. So, Julia, welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, and thank you very much for joining me. Oh, nice to see you again, Andy, and thank you very much for having me on your show, as they say in America. <laughs> it's it's a pleasure. I, I you know we've been talking about doing this for a while. It's been a, a number of years since we last saw each other, so it's really great to take this opportunity to catch up as well. Uh, and, and we're doing so because of the theme of your last book, as I mentioned, it's such a pertinent theme at the moment, and it goes to the heart of what the Connected Leadership Podcast is all about, because we look at the the power of professional relationships to aid a leader in their role and in their career. And of course, with everything changing uh, since the pandemic, particularly, uh, and we've got a new era of working patterns coming in, uh, that's going to impact on the relationships we build. Uh, so let's start with with your title of your book and your podcast, The Nowhere Office. How would you define that? Well, I'm going to say your listeners might be able to hear a phone in the background because, of course, I am WFH. I'm working from home. I'm in what might be euphemistically called my nowhere office. Um, Actually, the nowhere office isn't an argument for or a book about no office. It's an observation of this extraordinary moment that um, began in earnest, began memorably at the beginning of the pandemic, but that I've shown and plenty of others have shown began a long time before and really has been beginning since certainly the dawn of technology. If you wanted to say what killed the office as we knew it, you'd probably have to say the internet. But what interests me, because I'm a management writer and a leadership uh, commentator and consultant, is really what does this mean for organisational behaviour? What does this mean for how managers and leaders um, do their jobs and how that affects the jobs that everybody else does? And so the book is, is 
really partly a social history of work in um, in in the 20th century certainly since the second world war's ending second part of the 20th century and the decades that we're in at the moment in the 21st so um, I think I, it's I've been writing and thinking about um, this topic for a very long time and I think this is the most important moment in the history of work in a hundred years and I don't think that's an exaggeration. Well I, I've certainly um, seen a huge shift and uh, in the world around me and, and in the people I talk to. It is interesting that you mentioned that it's been going on since since technology has really taken a hold on the way we work um, and, and I can certainly testify to that because for me Personally, the only thing that shifted was how I interacted with my clients, not how I work. My working from home, if you like, or my hybrid working approach goes back probably 18, 19 years uh, when I realized that when I was in the office, I just couldn't focus and I couldn't concentrate when I needed to do deep work. So I started working from home uh, uh, probably three or four days a week. And I'd go into the office uh, on occasion, maybe for a few hours when I needed to. Um, and in the book, you, as you said, you, you talk about the shift towards hybrid working really emerging before the pandemic. Uh, what changes were we already seeing? I've given my my example. What changes were we seeing generally? How is technology driving that? And do you think that the fight, the destination we're we're heading towards has changed since the pandemic and because of the pandemic, or just perhaps moved a little bit closer. My goodness, that's about eight questions, Andy. <laughs> um, that's what I uh, do. That's uh, what, uh, 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 guilty, uh, guilty of charge. Uh, how 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 gloriously greedy! I'll try and unpick <laughs> them. And in fact, I'm I'm actually going to. Uh, not yet answer the question because I just want to state the obvious, really, but it's important that. This whole question about hybrid um, and whether people do and don't work from a fixed base um, is the preserve of some but not all workers. And I don't obviously mean uh, the factory floor, the front line, the teachers, the people who have a place of work that is where the work is done. It could be the park keeper in a local council. It could be the beat for the bobby, I actually mean that within organisations where there is back office, front office, um, and in between working side by side, it could be a mattress factory, it could be, um, you know, Fortnum and Masons, actually, I was talking to the chief executive there, and they have a strategy that's crafted to, to adapt to the desire for flexibility for those people working on the shop floor, which is different from those working in the back office. So I just wanted to state that point at the outset that there are, if you like, hybrids and hybrid have-nots. And there's always been inequality in and around work and the workplace. And to some degree, what's going on now is another new form of inequality, which again puts pressure on leaders and managers. Um, I'm about to fly to the US to address the senior leadership team of an international business that has adopted um, hybrid, what it calls flex. Um, and I'm addressing their senior leaders uh, in the first in real life get together they've had since the beginning of the pandemic. And they, like everybody else, is grappling with this. What has happened is that for years and years and years, 
the question of flexibility was seen as fringe and peripheral. It was seen as to do with what was called work-life balance and what was essentially equated with women who up until very recently were secondary in the workplace in terms of power, design, control. And so a number of trends, I believe, have happened simultaneously, one of which is that we are now more um, acutely aware of gender and indeed race. And by gender, I particularly personally mean sex-based gender, but other people mean identity-based gender. I do not, but others do. And so what has happened is that a number of shifts and trends that were percolating for many years, but not really meaningfully translating into working patterns. So up until the pandemic in the UK, you had, and I quote, the right to request flexible working. You're suddenly seeing an enormously rapid a policy shift in organisations that says, well, actually, we are going to state that you can or cannot work outside of the office. Now, for some people, that means you have to keep office hours and be able to go into the office at a moment's notice so you can't relocate. For others, it means you can work from anywhere, WFA. For some, it means that there is a what I call a diet model, the 5-2, the 3-2. You know, it's uh, the four-day week. These are all effectively diet models in my view. They're not empirically anything. They're just structures that may or may not work. And at the centre of it, I think, is a um, it, at the centre of it is actually two things. One is that the the mood has shifted, and anybody who can have choice and agency around how they work, when they work, where they work, is going to exert that agency. And the second is uh, the whole question of why we work and the fairness and the purpose has been brought into the room, if you like. So that's why it's such a dramatic set of circumstances. Let's pick up, I think, on a really important point there, and I'll make it one question. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 by the way, I, regular listeners will know I I, I, I I flagged this up myself. I am guilty of multiple questions because it's thought to go through my head. There's um, so much to say about this subject. Yeah, I, will, I will try and keep yeah. my answers short so you can ask no, me No, 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 please don't. It's about you speaking, not me, so please do. Um, no, let's let's keep this to one. Let's go to these this um, uh, unfairness, uh, inequality in the workplace. You, you place you talk yeah. about. You use the phrase the hybrids and the hybrid have nots, uh, and you use example a really good one of you know you can't be a flexible shop floor worker. It just doesn't work. Certainly not in terms of spending some of your time working from home. How do leaders manage that and manage expectations around that and, and stop that leading to a division in the workplace? Well, the first thing I think leaders have to do, and some of them are doing it and some of them really aren't, is get to grips with their passion for presenteeism. So what we've definitely seen over the summer of 2022, I would say that there have been three phases since the pandemic um, what I would call fully remote, when during lockdown, absolutely everybody, with the exception of these frontline workers, worked from home. So that's why furlough was valuable, because if you were a parks keeper, you could not go out and do your job, so you were furloughed. 
The second was what I would call fully hybrid, when there was a, a, a rush to embrace hybrid um, because of the uh, clear advantage in attracting and retaining talent. I won't bore your listeners with the very well-worn data that there is, um, which is extensive, that shows that pretty much every single country, every single demographic, um, the majority of people certainly want to be given the option to work flexibly. And in the end, around about a third of people uh, working who can are being offered the chance to to do so. Um, So we're now in a situation where hybrid is here, but we've entered a third phase, which I call fully customised, which is that in order to make it work, each and every leader, workplace by workplace, um, reason by reason, has got to craft a new space. Now, that provides huge complexity and has created the pushback towards presenteeism. Very famously, you had Jacob Rees-Mogg leaving passive-aggressive notes um, in government saying, sorry, you weren't at your desk, now being forced uh, to concede defeat and selling off quite a large amount of office stock. Uh, You had Alan Sugar, a man who ironically, um, which is putting it kindly, made a lot of money on the technology on which remote working is possible, like Amstrad, um, sort of taunting workers and calling them lazy. Um, Elon Musk, uh, who's, who's, who's reasonably erratic, I think it's fair to say, um, said to his Tesla workers um, that he would Anybody who didn't come in 40 hours a week was quote unquote phoning it in. And at the heart, I think, of this pushback, other than I might say unkindly, uh, myopia, generational, stale thinking, which is really what's going on. But you could also say that at the heart of it is that leadership is very much uh, historically been around see and be seen. If you see your people around you in a physical office, then you know we're producing, we're growing, we're doing the work. And it's alarming and confusing to conceptualise the idea that, my gosh, you might have to trust your workers. You might have to trust your managers and your HR and your uh, leadership and development people. And that has been tough to swallow. Plus, of course, the fact is lots of people have been locked in to property leases that have meant um, they they really have wanted to hang on to the possibility that people are going to go back full time. And the truth is, with exception, the norm is going to be hybrid in almost every circumstance where it allows. I was going to ask you about the Alan Sugar tweet because that was very recent. And well, which was, uh, one? There were many. Oh, well, He's been at quite... it all summer from his yacht. <laughs> well, well, there was quite a, to put it bluntly, quite what I thought was a revoltingly disrespectful one where he called someone a scumbag just because they disagreed with him on flexible working uh, and saying that everyone uh, who, who works from home doesn't do any work, basically. And uh, I was going to ask for your thoughts on that, and I think you've probably given those <laughs> pretty well. well. And it's not—I it, it, was just going to say—it's not just this side of the, the channel or the Atlantic, because you know you've had the the, the leads of Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan uh, and so forth in the states, all saying things like, "If you want to earn New York wages, you've got to work in New York," which I get to a degree, but there's been no nuance in there. 
Well, I think JP Morgan is actually different from Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs, David Solomon famously said that working from home was an aberration. And Goldman Sachs, I think, has simply not, um, to quote the phrase, read the room, which is they believed that because they were the masters of the universe and the starting salaries were so great, because they, as it happened, because I researched the history of quite a lot of offices when I was doing this book, they had 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 built um one of the most expensive office uh, footprints in history uh, somewhere called plum tree court with the not just the largest trading floor in europe but its own lactation suite for breastfeeding mothers so you can sort of see why some leaders were jolly upset that their investment in beautiful offices had gone to waste and what's interesting is there's an entire story about the property market which is in fact booming in terms of refurb and being reorganized so the nowhere office is not anti-office. It's not about no office, but it's it, it's saying that the way people use offices and the time and flow is going to change substantially. Um, and I think, look, what I think this is about, what the nowhere office is for me, um, is an amazing opportunity for leaders and managers to say, we are all in a bit more of a level playing field than we ever thought. Uh, for a number of historical, cultural, generational reasons, our workers are more powerful than they were before. And we are facing enormous international competitive pressures, uh, global political pressures, the energy crisis, technological uh, revolution. We're still really at the beginning of what's been called the fourth industrial revolution that was named um, by Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum in in, uh, 2016. Therefore, the Nowhere Office is about saying, here we are, nowhere where we were, somewhere where we got to be by, say, 2025. Let's lift the lid on all the old norms and come up with some new patterns and some new things that bring out the best of our people. And it's not about anarchy. It's not about um, letting people uh, work part-time and be paid part-time. It's about saying, we will lead and manage well in good organisations and we're going to have communication systems with our people. That means they know what's expected of them. We're in a contract together And suddenly this flexibility could be a massive boost to productivity, recruitment and retention. I generally see it as upside whilst being very clear eyed that to get through the implementation process is yet another challenge, yet another headache. But, you know, it it needed to happen and it needed to happen because the world of work, just to be super clear, was incredibly dysfunctional, unproductive and unhappy before the pandemic. And all the things that leaders are now saying about purpose and well-being and mental health and fairness, they're having to do that because nobody wants to work for badly run organisations that are producing products and services that aren't sustainable and that aren't done fairly. So 
you know, I, I'm I'm in favour of this ultra, ultra transparent moment. And that's what the Nowhere Office is, Andy. It's a moment of ultra transparency that says to leaders and managers, can we keep it real, please? <laughs> lots can be done, but lots needed to be done. We hope that you're taking away some valuable lessons from this edition of the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you would like support in developing, nurturing, and leveraging strong relationships to support you in your role, please visit andylapata.com forward slash mentoring. So, so in, in light of keeping it real, and I want to pick up on, on a word you've used a few times, which is being flexible in our approach. Uh, one of the key things I would have thought is that it, it can't be a shift from one form of command and control, you will come into the office five days a week for these hours, to a different form, which is you will work three days a week in the office and two days a week at home, and and recognising that different employees have different needs. So you'll have extroverts who need to be in the office and around people. You'll have introverts who might be better working on their own and being able to focus. You'll have people who have a really good space in their home where they can work with no distractions. You'll have people who have to sit on the corner of their bed balancing their laptop on their knee. And we need to find the balance between recognising those needs and allowing employees to pick the pattern that works best for them, but then the needs of the business. When do we need people in? How do we get teams to work together? How do we bring down silos if people are even more remote from each other? So how do we get that balance and how do we ensure that it's a flexible approach? So the really big issue is uh, how do you build and sustain culture? And in particular, how do you um, onboard in a meaningful way young talent um, and reflect the fact that every demographic, whether it's working parents or Generation Z, uh, they all want freedom and they want a ready-made standby office. In fact, what's interesting is that uh, I read some data from Steelcase, the office design business um, consultancy that showed something like 68% of people in the middle of the pandemic already knew they wanted to work flexibly, hybrid, um, but they wanted a a workstation and and a desk. And only 17% of people um, were, were happy to work in a hot desk way. So Look, one of the headaches for managers and leaders is that everyone wants to have their cake and eat it. They want a fully Mm. furnished, fully heated office, um, you know, ready and waiting for them whenever they want to drop in. And of course, that 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 does need to be um, redesigned and repurposed. But I've said for a long time, I said this at a Financial Times conference um, in April when my book was first published, in, in the US, it was published in the UK in February, I, I've said that what I think the office is going to be used for is basically three things. Uh, one is purely social, the, the water cooler, you know, the water cooler was a great way of being unproductive. There's data that showed that when people were in the office full time, they were only productive a maximum of 40% of the time. And the rest of the time, they were nattering at the water cooler. So, I mean, I do think that people like to convene and just shoot the breeze and that there's an enormous value in informal informational exchanges. The second thing I think the office will be for is um, is uh, 
so networking is the first thing that people will come to the office for and to be social. Uh, the the second thing will be for learning. Um, and there is an awful lot of learning that needs to be done and cross-generational learning, you know, elders coming in to see the new people and so on. And the third thing that I think offices are really vital for is conflict resolution and difficult meetings, okay? You can't argue on Zoom. There is a lot of evidence that says that teleconferencing, that some people thought was a blip, that it was good for Zoom share price, but, you know, we were all just going to get back. And there's, the truth is, there's a lot of evidence that in many, many aspects of the workplace, uh, teleconferencing is popular, not only necessary for global businesses across different time zones, but also that there has been um, a newfound awareness that there has been inequality in going into the office, that um, a lack of fairness has been, you know, if you if you don't earn as well, what are you going to wear? Microaggressions. Definitely, I've done many many interviews with people of color who've said to me, one memorably in the US, a top rated podcaster um, called Zerlina Maxwell, who said to me, "I'm interviewing you from my sofa in my pajamas, Julia, because I didn't want the micro the uh, the open aggression and sexism of the commute and the microaggression of the office," and. So the point being, we absolutely need to bring people together face to face and to get much better at how we handle digital social connections. But the idea that anyone who does desk-based work and computer-based work needs to come into an office as before, frankly, to make the boss feel better, that I can confidently say is over. Now, the week in which you're interviewing me is full of newspapers saying it costs £66 a second and a half to heat your kettle, diddly-doo, mad nonsense, rubbish economics, all part of the political propaganda push to get people back to the office. And my, my message to the leaders and managers that I uh, inevitably and uh, happily and being asked to consult with on this is what are you asking for what does success look like and feel like come on this is about saying what is the work where and how does the work need to be done and actually the evidence is pointing more and more to short immersive bursts in which you get together to noodle through and exchange the gossip and worry and argue and all that stuff. And then people can go away and be trusted with long timelines. And then they come back together. And the technology can be used to keep them in touch, whether it's WhatsApp groups or platforms. There's a lot of change in the integrated uh, working platform market, if you like. So I think it's not about saying no office, but it's about saying, what are you doing in the office when you're there? And if it's just for presenteeism, forget, forget, forget. I, I think that point about what you do in the office when you're there is so important. We had uh, Valerie Bell Hassan on the podcast last year. She's uh, CFO for Global Compliance for uh, BNP Paribas. And she talked about how they're trying to ensure that when people are in the office, they're using it for the key meetings and they're not doing stuff in the office that they could be doing at home. 
And I thought that was a really powerful point. Uh, I want to go to your your three key things that we need from the office uh, and, and throw a fourth one in if I can. Yeah. Uh, and then ask you about that. So you talked about networking. You talked about learning. And I want to throw mentoring in there. Yeah. Not just getting mentored, but being identified as a potential mentee and identifying your potential mentor uh, and conflict resolution. And the other thing I'd like to throw in there, uh, one thing that has struck me is um, it, people who have started work during the pandemic and have never met any of these their colleagues. I was with someone at the weekend who's been in her job for, uh, I think, three years, and she's only had about six weeks of that time in the office meeting the people she's working with. Uh, so in, in the past, all of these things networking and building relationships, learning formally and informally, uh, the uh, conflict resolution you talked about, and getting to know the people you work with, most of that has been able to happen almost organically. If you're in the office, you meet people, you talk, you share ideas and intelligence uh, and so forth. As leaders, do we need to be more proactive when you've got a, a, a flexible hybrid workforce who aren't necessarily all coming in at the same time, do we need to be more thoughtful about how and when we bring them in and what we do when they're in the office? Oh, you absolutely do. I mean, I'm I'm devising a sort of toolkit that I'm sharing with my clients about, you know, once you've factored in the, the very particularities of their industry and their sector and indeed their culture, because, of course, you know, what happens in Singapore is not the same as what happens in in, in Streatham or, or Chicago necessarily culturally. But the bottom line of it is that what matters is that the work itself can be understood fully and done with assistance from technology uh, and that therefore the coming together is about uh, allowing for the messiness and unproductivity, if you like, that quite a lot of human interactions in uh, in situ uh, creates. In other words, it, it it's allowing that waste of time because coming in to travel in and being in and hanging about does waste a lot of time, which is why the data has shown very clearly from Nicholas Bloom, but all sorts of other data sets that, in fact, homeworking and teleworking uh, is more productive. And that is even allowing for discounting the mad burnout that happened at the beginning of the pandemic when, you know, uh, we clearly everybody went too far and people were, you know, working often mad, uh, excessive amount of time. So you almost want to use coming into the office for what it always was anyway, which is a very imprecise way to spend time. There's nothing wrong with that. You and I study networks, know quite a lot between us, I think, about network science and network theory. And networking has always been very difficult to get an ROI on, precisely because, you know, building up trust in proximity and smelling the room, as diplomats call it, is not as precise as saying, I wrote 28 million lines of code or I sold that thing. And so leaders and managers are going to have to get their heads around different dimensions and measurements, which can't just be neatly tied up in a bow. And so their thinking has to change and their openness has got to um, get greater 
to um, not being in control all the time, actually. That's, I think, probably a key aspect of it. And and I think what underpins all of this is, and it's a word you mentioned much earlier, is trust. Yeah. They have to trust their teams. And I think that you find out whether people are repaying your trust or not over a period of time, and the people that don't will be found out in the same way they would have done under the old model as well. And also, let's just sort of flip it. I mean, of course, some people are dishonest and some people don't work productively and they make excuses but the vast majority of people are motivated to work it's why I don't hold with the arguments that have been flying around for quite some time that you know oh we all want the universal basic income and none of us should work and it's all you know it's all I'm pro work I think work gives meaning I think work anchors society I think work creates relationships I, I I think we need to have a balance between our working selves and our um human being side but the fact is often the reason why people are not productive is they're not motivated and they're not motivated because they're poorly managed or given unreasonable deadlines or have got toxic politics in their workplace and uh, humans are guess what not machines they need nurturing and any MBA uh, alumni listening to this program knows all too well the very key shift between the end of scientific principles of management and Taylorism in the 1930s to the human relations school of management when uh, you know the Hawthorne effect was noticed in factories which is if you treat humans as named individuals and you ask them what they feel about the tasks they're doing incredibly their productivity goes up even if they're working in physically quite adverse conditions and so this is about trust respect and uh, treating your co-workers as fellow human beings and I think there's been an awful lot of hierarchical grandiosity in the world of leadership and management I'm afraid I'm I'm probably the most um, maverick consultant your listeners are going to hear because I'm pretty pretty candid about the failings of leadership and management. I think an awful lot of leadership, uh, you know, mark the market in leadership four hundred billion dollars uh, hasn't yielded a lot really. If let you know a year, that's four hundred billion a year. It where's it all gone in terms of? productivity engagement so i i i want anyone listening who recognizes the change to switch their mindset from how can i make everybody go back to how it was before to how can i embrace the future sensibly keep it real and maybe we'll all in fact have a better outcome you you mentioned briefly office politics and, and toxicity in the workplace. Do you think that not having everyone under the same roof the whole time can actually remove some of that office politics where people focus more on what your role is and, and what you do than how you dress and whether you fit in? Uh, or do you think that it could, it could increase? I think it can and does increase. I mean, the point about the main reason why uh, hybrid has happened 
okay post pandemic because let's remember there was a sort of brief fantasy moment when the pandemic first began when people were completely saying you know we're all going to go back to the office just like we did before and in fact yeah. um when i was writing this book i mean my publishers had great faith in it they bought it um and uh, i i had a very nice deal thank you very much but an awful lot of people said to me you, you know why are you writing a book saying that everything's changed because it hasn't so obviously it has and um one of the main reasons I think is that the world of work has a lot of toxic politics and people don't like to be around it. And they also, thanks to the internet, thanks to changing values, uh, want to be more connected to their lives. Thanks, in fact, to technology often being a real brute in terms of quickly getting on with your life. I mean, anyone who's tried banking lately uh, or compliance uh, related living or has got caring responsibilities for somebody, you know, it's it takes more time. It's so so there are lots of cult of cultural and sociological reasons why people don't want to be in the office. But people are going to manage well or badly wherever they are. And so the issue is, I believe, to shift the discussion away from should they be hybrid, should they not be hybrid, to what is the work, who's doing the work, how's the work being set and monitored. And when you look at the civil service in the UK, where there has been a lot of uh, issues around inefficiency and poor performance, Part of that is um, to do with the system and the structure itself. It's not that the human beings doing it are lazy. That's an appalling slur on people um, and not true. And unfortunately, we have a prime minister who seems to believe that of the British workforce, which isn't uh, the best start. But if we create the right environment for people, they can flourish. And maybe that's what's been missing. And I speak as a former civil servant myself going back a long time. I don't know. I mean, the outgoing uh, prime minister, the Boris Johnson, you know, memorably talked about people just working from home and nibbling nibbling cheese from the fridge, um, which was a wonderful opportunity to remind everybody that it's the thirtieth anniversary of that very famous management book by somebody else called Johnson, uh, who moved my cheese, uh, which was you know very much a parable of are you going to be adventurous as a leader and a manager and actually experiment and explore, or are you going to go round and round in your in your in your maze that you've already predetermined. So I think that that metaphor um, of, 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 you know, the mouse and the cheese was interesting. The new Prime Minister Liz Truss, I think, is, um, you know, may want to play to the gallery and talk about getting back to the office, but I think events are already moving very quickly. And she certainly, during the leadership debates um, in the UK, uh, talked about the older working uh, workforce um, because half a million people have dropped out of the labour market in in the uh, and ninety percent of them are over over fifty in fact over sixty so um, I think the reality is that anybody worth their salt in politics or in business um, has to take a more nuanced view they have to look at the data um, and they have to come up with new strategies and new tactics. You mentioned earlier, you touched on uh, diverse workforces. You talked about gender 
within the workforce quite early in our conversation, you you, you mentioned microaggressions and how that impacted people of colour, for example, uh, a little bit further on. Do you think that the nowhere office uh, environment makes the world of work more accessible or less, more diverse or less? And how will it affect those conversations in the future? I think flexibility is good. I think flexibility is more likely as, a, as, a, as an embedded, enshrined policy around how work is done and where and when and by whom is likely to favour equality more than it's likely to discriminate. But it comes back to the point that, you know, a bad manager and a bad leader can wreak havoc wherever they are, okay, cyberspace or otherwise. Um, And, I mean, I read an interesting book um, recently about digital communication and, you know, I'm 58, I'm I'm not a young uh, person. And so the language of emojis and how to communicate with younger workers was a revelation to me. I hadn't really understood that it's not a game, which is what I think emojis are when I'm on the WhatsApp to people of my own age and I scroll through and find a thumbs up and I think, oh, that's amusing. Um, in fact, what, what I realised was that really the cultural nuanced behaviours that we use digitally and in person make a big difference to whether people feel included or excluded. So again, I think there are lots and lots of different changes happening. Um, And the pandemic coincided with a much greater, fiercer literacy uh, and voice for Uh, all sections of the workplace, some of which I actually say in the book, possibly controversially, I think we need to um, dial down now and focus on the different identity of life stage of worker, whether you're a learner or a lever or a leader, your life stage or type of work, rather than how you identify. But it doesn't mean that basic obvious inequality or discrimination mustn't be tackled always because it should in my view yeah absolutely a uh, couple of couple of last questions just to just to wrap up the conversation uh, where are we going to go with this are we going to find ourselves working in the metaverse anytime soon uh uh no, but equally um when I was researching the book I sort of I did an experiment to see the data in the in the projected market share rise of office chairs versus headsets and guess which one is going to make a lot more money and sell a lot more <laughs> in the future. I mean you you know the Oculus headset the virtual reality the metaverse is coming it will enhance the teleconferencing trend there's no doubt about that. Um and I think that that is in fact probably going to be good for greater equality. But I don't think human beings are ever going to not want or need to be themselves rather than an avatar in direct proximity and communication with and in the same room as others a lot of the time. And and it's not either or. So, yeah, I think the metaverse, of course, because here we are using technology that we never imagined would be commonplace. So the, the the relentless rise of the technology is continuing, but the relentless continuation of the human is, thank goodness as well. 
Yeah, I think for me, I look at uh, networking events that have been run uh, online during, during and since the pandemic, and I, I tend to avoid them because me moving an avatar around a screen, however beautifully designed the space is, just isn't the same. Uh, and so, but these things are inevitable. They're not designed for you or I. They're designed for the next generations coming through. But I think there's a difference, isn't there, Andy, between, you know, cyberspace, m- m- multiverse, metaverse, 3.D, mm. 3D internet design um, for a sort of experience around, say, networking for breakout rooms and learning. and um, the the idea that when you are joining a meeting at distance you're going to have a more immersive presence at the table now that i think is important so some of it will probably fall by the wayside but an awful lot of it won't it will be interesting to see uh, just just to wrap up you mentioned earlier that your publisher put faith in you they bought the book some people said why are you writing this now has the landscape or have any of your opinions changed since you wrote the book Well, I feel very pleased that I stuck to my guns and called it out because I think there is a pretty widespread recognition now that the future is only going to get more distributed in terms of workforces um, and that the needs of who we are as human beings and who we are as worker beings has got to be much more aligned and integrated uh, in the way that it was perhaps siloed pre-pandemic. So the future is going to see more, not less of whatever you call it, hybrid, flexible. And I think it's going to see um, the biggest upset in the way management and leadership thinking and behaving happens. And I welcome that. In fact, if anyone is interested, um, I'm going to be speaking at the Global Drucker Forum uh, in Vienna in the middle of November about this. you know, managers and leaders need to send themselves back to school, not to do MBAs so much as to do how do we how do we lead now in the new workspace in the nowhere office. I I I, I think you're right. I think we we've seen such a shift in the environment. Uh, we have to question traditional models. It doesn't mean we throw everything out. Uh, but it means we have to have a strong understanding of where this is and not just put it down to a pandemic phase. Um, but this is uh, with us in one form or another uh, is here to stay. Uh, Julia, thank you so much for joining me. It was worth the wait and uh, you've really added to the conversation we're having on this topic. Thank you. Always great to talk to you and what a, what a, what an interesting discussion. Thanks. So thank you so much to Julia for joining me. Uh, I'm sure it is a topic we'll come back to because, as I say, it is one that's here to stay. Just to reinforce that when we're talking about using Julia's term, the nowhere office, it's not about everyone working from home. It's not about set days in the office and set days without, but it's about a flexible way of thinking. Uh, And I think for me, one of the most important things to take from the conversation is the importance of nuance and the importance of focusing on what you're trying to achieve and what the work requires um, rather than what uh, one form of uh, uh, one school of thought says or what another school of thought says Um, so to look at it on a case-by-case basis and really uh, look at the nuance within it i'd recommend going back to that valerie belhassan episode of the connected leadership podcast as well so i think she had some really interesting 
uh, ideas and a, a, a good perspective from on the ground in, in a big multinational organisation uh, and how they're coping with this as well. Uh, Julia's book, in case you hadn't guessed, is called The Nowhere Office, uh, as is the podcast. Uh, and then there's the Drucker Forum at which um, she's speaking as well. And you can uh, go to her website for more information on everything I'm sure. Uh, so thanks again to Julia for joining us. Thank you for joining the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you do want to dig a little bit more deeply into this topic, uh, I was on a panel recently for a live podcast recording for the company Doctor Podcast, where the topic was working from home and whether that was with us to stay. Uh, that's being uh, published uh, in two parts. The first part is the panel discussion. The second part is when we as the panel answer questions from the live audience in the room. And the first part of that is being published tomorrow. Uh, so that is the 13th of September. So it's on the Company Doctor podcast, which is available on all channels, or just check my social media. It will be on there and you can pick it up from there. But don't let that take you away from the Connected Leadership podcast for too long. Come back and join us, join us again next week when we'll have another great interview for you. I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.